0: Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's dot com. C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. You're listening to Conversations with Lulu. I'm Lulu Khazan, an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. Even before starting my entrepreneurial journey in 2011 with Nabdash.com, I've had my fair share of transformations, and I've had the opportunity to build a great and diverse network of amazing people along the way. This podcast is an extension of my learning journey and a way for me to share some insights. Our sponsor for this episode is JustMob. Tune in to hear about their offer for our listeners. If you'd like to sponsor our show, you can connect with me directly on lulu.khasan at gmail.com. My guest is Samer Hamedi, Dubai's nightlife entrepreneur. Even if you don't know him by name, you've probably been to one of his venues, uh, such as Republique and Stereo Arcade, and most recently, the funky restaurant Akiba Dori in Dubai Design District. I've known Samer much before his foray into food and beverage, back when he was at Impact BBDO, when he was still living the agency life. I wanted to catch up with Samer to talk about his entrepreneurship journey raising money and the lessons that he's learned along the way as he moved careers over the past decade. He is a ton of fun. He's the kind of guy you want to hang out with and have a laugh. But don't be fooled by his charisma and fun spirit. Samer is a serial entrepreneur with big dreams. And among many of his quirks is his refusal to wear a suit, a symbol that used to define success less than a decade ago. Yeah, well, I had
1: to be in a suit. I didn't like being in a suit. I got told to always be in a suit, but uh, I was in corporate I was client servicing, so I had to be in a suit. But that's the first thing that went when I, when I resigned.
0: Okay, the suit. First thing that went, on, it Do to you me. own a suit?
1: Yeah, of course. I have you to. You do? Yeah, okay. a couple of suits, but I don't wear them.
0: Well, not many people wear suits these days. Anyway, yeah, no, it's changed no. a lot, I yeah, think. I think the
1: perception a of a guy in a suit has changed, and I always make this joke with my lawyers, and people see me sitting with a bunch of guys in suits, they think... Like I'm like this big CEO and the Mark like, Zuckerberg. Yeah, <laughs> well, not that level, but you know, but that's a perception these days. Yeah, it's guys in jeans and t-shirts running that's most true. big industries. So I'm glad. I'm glad that's changed a little bit. The perception of what people wear. And you were in corporate for how long?
0: Uh, for, yeah, a good. I think uh, nine years or so. Yeah,
1: so you've yeah, paid yeah. your dues also.
0: Yeah, I've I've done suits as well. Yeah, because I used to well, work in hotels like back in the day.
1: Wow. So I've done like painful. I've done the suits. That's what and what's one industry that needs to disrupt a little bit. Yeah, a little yeah, bit with painful, at least. Actually. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: So so take me. So you, I mean, you realized I think early on that working for a company wasn't wasn't your thing,
1: right? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'd say that's an understatement early on. Seven months in.
0: Seven months Seven ago? months into. Okay. And it
1: was a great agency. Impact DBDO. They, yes, were, your, of course, they yeah. were your agency when you were back at uh, Dubai Properties. That's true. Great agency. Amazing people. I'm still friends with almost every single person I was friends with back then. Um, I just... Didn't feel like it was for me. I used to joke with my dad a lot. I barely studied in college. I mean, I did English literature, so it wasn't really a serious degree. Although it was a great department in in, in Beirut. No offense Beirut. to
0: everybody that has no, done English yeah, literature. Most
1: people that do that want to, you know, be be professors. They want to teach. They want to write. I never really i do those things, but it wasn't something that I thought I would do as like as a career. Okay. So my dad would be like, "What do you think you'd be a CEO when you're 25?" So I was like, yeah, why not? Like, why is that so crazy to you? And my dad's super corporate. Like, he's been corporate his whole life, ran a humongous company, tens of thousands of employees in Saudi. Um, even my mom was super, well, not really super corporate, but she was an entrepreneur. She, has a, she had an agency in Saudi back in the day as well wow. for women work. Okay. So she ran it, it was just women. And she just realized a uh, big insight in the market that a lot of businesses in Saudi were owned by Saudi women, and they had no representation. People, it was always ad agencies run by men, so she's like, "There's a big opportunity here." Oh, wow. So she ran it for four years, and then, yeah, then very politically inclined to close it. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, but yeah, seven months into my agency job, and you were my client, like I said before. And you were an amazing client. Right, obviously, right, right, right. we we had fun. It was fun doing we were crazy on things. A
0: festival. We wanted to do a festival, which
1: got canceled like got canceled I don't know how many happened. times yeah. because a guy had a dream. I'll never forget that. That's a conversation for a different time uh, <laughs>
0: um
1: <laughs> one of your colleagues um yeah so i i didn't want to have someone else own my time that was my biggest faux pas even me.
0: at that time which even is amazing because 25 time. years old like yeah, yeah.
1: I, I just you know i spent seven months at the agency i think i took i didn't take a single day off even weekends i'd work i didn't care like i was fine doing it but then i'm like if i'm, if I'm willing to do this for someone else i should do it for myself and I remember sitting with uh, Alan Khoury at the time. And he's like, what, what are you going to do?
0: Alain Khoury is the, the, chairman, is of, the yeah, chairman.
1: Of course. So he's like, I bothered to learn your name. You're going to leave? I said, listen, honestly, like, he's like, what, what are you looking to do? I'm like, are you ever going to make me a partner? He started laughing. He's like, how old are you again? I'll never forget that. He's like, wow, okay, that's serious ambition, man. In fact, maybe the old chairman. Are you ever going to make me a partner? You're 25. Okay. I don't know if the managing director would have asked him that question. <laughs> so he's like, anyway, good luck. I think you're. I think you'll be fine, whatever you do. And they made me promise not to go to Leo Burnett. <laughs> Actually, that was Pierre Azam, who I'm still friends with till now. He's like, you're not going back to Leo Burnett because I did a very short stint at Leo Burnett in Beirut before I moved here yeah. for a couple of months, <laughs> and uh, with Malik Ghraib at the time. Creative director, who's an amazing guy.
0: Great guy, actually. I learned so much well. from that
1: guy in three months, like sitting in his in his office, like on a couch, basically, because there was no space for me. More than I learned in like ten years anywhere else, honestly. So, uh, yeah, and I set up an events agency, but I continued working with you guys because I saw how much money you're spending with the agencies. I'm like, maybe I should do this. It wasn't necessarily something I loved doing, by the way. I was just creative, and I like putting things together, and I was good with people, or at least I thought I was. And we started uh, doing
0: events. Yeah,
1: I started doing corporate events, and I had no money at the time. My salary was like 6,000 dirhams a month. <laughs> uh,
0: and there were a lot of agencies at the time doing corporate events. We're talking 2000, uh, 2003, five, four, 2004, two thousand
1: four, five. Yeah, there were a wow. lot. Of course, my competition was crazy. True, um, true. But again, my approach was very different in that I worked on the concept development first, and my, my let's put it this way, my quotes were way lower because I was I was alone. And I joint ventured with uh, Chill Out Productions, so the guys that did the Dubai Jazz Festival. So I came in, wore a suit, pitched to them this big idea, and they were like, who the hell is this kid talking about making millions of dollars a year?
0: And it worked, (laughs) somehow.
1: (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, I think it was a very successful first couple of years. Um, And then, yeah, then went... So so you're good at,
0: like, like storytelling? Are you good at, like, creating a vision? Are you good at...
1: I think I could see an open space, an empty space, or even a built space and imagine it as something else. And I've experienced having to explain that to people throughout the last decade and a bit doing F&B. Because a lot of my shareholders come in and they're like, how is this going to look? I don't understand. Even if I show them, it's just, it's, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's all the video games I've been playing since I was a kid that put this, put all these ideas in my head. But I have this uh, habit of walking into a room and reimagining how I would redo it. Although I have no formal design training or anything like that. I just like creating brands. And then naturally with that, you have to do all those things. Um, I think different to what you would do normally when you were working with a brand. You're kind of restricted, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely. I and mean, I remember the
1: things we have to do with you guys. Like we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. Even like a slight change would be a, a bit of drama.
0: So, Summer's events agency was quite successful for most of its five-year run including launching pioneering events such as the Comedy Festival in 2009.
1: I brought a lot of comedians out to Dubai. I mean, uh, th- th- some of these guys were, like, the-, the cost of their, or their fees were a ticket to Dubai and a hotel stay. Now they make $30 million a year touring. And I'm still friends with these guys. So it was nice that we were both kind of in that age group, kind of coming up together. I was finding my feet in the events world. They were finding their feet in the comedy world. And we did... Um, this big uh, comedy festival in 2009, which was wildly successful at the peak of the downhill um, for the events industry. And I think a lot of industries in Dubai, people don't like to talk about and didn't like to talk about back then. Even although it was right, happening in front of our eyes, everything was collapsing, but we're like, no, no, everything's fine. I hate, I hated that, you know, pretending things were okay. I'm, I'm not blunt, but I don't like sugarcoating things. I don't think there's a point in doing it. You're doing more harm than good. So I decided to call it quits in 2010 um, because I didn't see the industry recovering, at least to where it used to be, and I didn't want to waste my time doing five times the work for one-fifth of the money. That's amazing, by the way. Happening. Like,
0: for, for someone to get to that and to be able to make that decision is actually not not easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: at the peak, and I was making ridiculous money, um, I survived for three years with no income, and I could have survived longer, obviously, but then I set up my, my first bar, but... Uh, it was one of those decisions I had to make. It was very difficult because I loved my partners. Um, they're amazing guys, but we're still friends till today. And I see them as often as I can. And um, it's just, it was a personal decision. Like, I just didn't want to do it anymore.
0: Well, it makes sense, right? And it's good. So you weren't like emotionally invested in it or... No. Because uh, I think that's, that's the difficult part of being an entrepreneur sometimes. You're so emotionally attached to your idea or especially if you spend time and money uh, in it and you've, you know, you've invested... Like if someone came
1: to you and said, Pranabish, listen, I have an idea for you. Let's take it in a different direction. And you worked, I mean, years and years to yeah. create that platform back in the day. Would you have been open to ideas?
0: Probably, but again, it, it, depend, like, it depends. Uh, but for instance, like let's say if we had a roadblock and uh, and let's say if things weren't doing well, I don't know if I would have said, okay, let's shut it down. Uh, I think it's very difficult for an entrepreneur to say, you know what, let's, let's call it quits. And I love what you said because you said you didn't want to work the same amount of hours for like a fifth of the, well, the, more of the money. Well,
1: more Yeah, because naturally what happens in this market is everyone wants to become competitive. And mm-hmm. I saw that happen with the first pitch we did for that year. And
0: uh, This is to- 2009.
1: Yeah, 2009. Yeah. And, uh, you know, normally, you know, our billings were tens of millions of dirhams a year in revenue. Uh, small company, our overheads were nothing. We were here in Media City. Um, suddenly, I was pitching against eight agencies instead of two. And... You know, we were shortlisted, shortlisted, shortlisted to two agencies, and then the two agencies would be, get the contract for the year. But the two agencies would always have to pitch against each other. So I'm like, what am I doing? This is not—it's not worth it. One, I don't want to kill myself and stress myself out to get business, and I don't like pitching—not because I'm better at getting business than anybody else. Because if I bring an idea to the table, I want them to do it because I put a lot of energy into it. And that was—I no, knew for a fact that was no longer going to be the case. I knew whatever I put together, whatever I pitched forward. Whoever wins that pitch is going to end up using some of my ideas.
0: Yeah,
1: And I'm like, you know, you can't own an idea. I'm not like clueless about it. like, oh, it's my idea. I own it. And I get, you know, no, upset but, about but it. But I've
0: seen that happen, by the way. Of and course. It's, uh, it's, it's horrible. It's
1: tra- so I'm like, what's the point? I can do other things. And I used to throw house parties. With one of my friends, Sam Wahab, who's now in London, uh, ex-Red Bull, well, kind of dabbles in Red Bull still. And our, our house parties were better than most club nights. So um, he moved back to Lebanon, obviously. I used to DJ randomly. It was very it was just silly. I was just having fun. You know? I, I wasn't taking it too seriously. Um, ironically, I was pretty broke at the time, coming from a point where I remember on my 27th birthday being in Beirut and going to the ATM machine to get like whatever, a couple hundred bucks, and I had like a million dollars in my bank account. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then two years later when I was doing these house parties, I was like, you know, I wanted to call my dad and ask for rent money.
0: So <laughs> it's, it's
1: insane, or almost three years later. So, well, that's
0: pretty extreme, huh?
1: But that's how it is. I always say I haven't had a salary since I was 25. I never took salaries from my businesses.
0: And you're 40 now.
1: I'm 39.
0: You're 39. Yeah. Okay. That's not bad. It's 14 years. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, uh, it's it takes good. its toll. <laughs> it takes its toll.
0: That's pretty good. Okay. So so then you moved into the uh, into the. F&B. So it kind of of came naturally. Basically, the transition from uh, no, actually, I think you had a you, you also had a, another corporate stint, right?
1: It was a very short one in Abu Dhabi. Of a
0: week? Of a month? Of a month and a half. A month and Uh, a half.
1: They called me and they said, we want you to come set up the the events division for a huge, huge government company. Um, Government company run by non-Emiratis, actually. Um, Bit of a mafia mentality in that organization. I'm not going to get into too much detail. But um, I put a ridiculous number on the table. I'm like, I wouldn't do it for less than this much. And they said, sure. And I was like, crap, I have to do it now. So after a month and a half, again, in a suit, driving up to Abu Dhabi, which I love that city. It's super chill and, you know, it's green and there's islands. And I I really liked being up there. I just remembered how much I hated being in an organization that would not let me take a step. And do things like, not my way, but what I think was the right course. So even if I was saving them millions of dollars, yeah. no.
0: Well, they're paying you for that, right? Well, that's you what I be, thought. I'm yeah. like,
1: great, they're paying me because of my knowledge and my connections and the fact that I've been doing events for so long. And when I you know, come back to you with a cost-cutting mechanism that's going to save you literally $10 million in the first year for one little thing. I get told off for it. You're not following protocol. You have to go through this, 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 and this. I'm like, but I did follow your protocol, and I ended up costing you this much more. So my guy's cheaper, and it costs you zero. There's no payment involved. No, no, we want to pay. We don't want free stuff. I was like, so why am I here? Like, basically, it was very existential. Um, And I I was like, thank you very much. It's been fun. Um, And I've never been escorted out of a company before, and that actually happened. It's just one of those things that it opens your eyes to... The fact that even if you feel at home in a certain organization, if you say something they don't like, it's not your company, you're not on the board, you have no say whatsoever,
0: yeah.
1: you're out like that. So
0: for sure, for sure, like, working in a big organization is, is definitely not your thing. So no. That's not going to happen. No. I mean, you're 39, so I guess...
1: It's too late for that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. it's
0: never too late, but I guess, you know, you're you're too creative and, and, uh, and out there, so I, I doubt it's going to work. But now you have, like, a family, and so how, how does that impact... You know, because a lot of people in the corporate world today, they might long to become entrepreneurs or they might say, yeah, well, this is really cool, but it doesn't pay the bills, especially here in Dubai. So how do you how do you feel about that? Like, do you, are you it doesn't stress me or? out, no. Um,
1: I'm good at finding solutions. That's literally yeah. what I make money doing. Um, and I think I've made it this far. I've lived well. I, I have no complaints about anything. Uh, I've learned a lot along the way, obviously. And I think... Having a family shouldn't deter you from giving yourself a chance. Um, I know most people would think they'd love to be entrepreneurs. And I don't even like that word. I prefer the word opportunist or at least find opportunities and take them. And sometimes the biggest fear is, what if I can't provide for my family? And I think this is instilled in us because of our parents, because they're they're always you know working and a paycheck. It's all about stability.
0: I think things are changing, obviously with the, with the young generation. People now don't really stick to a job for a long time. They want yeah, to. They want to you know seek other things. And that's the Instagram and effect. That's the social the media effect. effect. No, but I can tell you for sure. Like, I've uh, we uh, I've created a network of angel investors, and we we invest in startups today and uh, and they're all like corporate guys and like very senior corporate guys and they 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 would really love to kind of you know Do their own dabble, thing. dabble into the startups and i think they're doing that uh, just as a way to kind of you know have a feel of what it's Live like them. yeah i mean even though it's it's diffi- it's different being an investor than when you're an entrepreneur obviously it's a completely different risk right you're risking your money whereas the entrepreneur is risking like everything yeah you know? time reputation everything. Everything. Uh, Mental health. But, but, yeah, but I feel it. But I wonder, like, I ask them sometimes, "Would you? Would you do it? Like, would you set up your own company?" And most, most of the guys would say, like, you know, no, it's it's you know, it's too risky, and, uh, and the job is great, and so on. So uh, some people
1: love being corporate. Like I said, my dad, not entrepreneurial at all, loved being in a corporation, loved you know leading people. Uh, I don't like doing that. I don't mind leading. Obviously, it's not I'm not saying I don't like leading. I just don't like.
0: What do you mean? You know, you're like an, you're like a leader. You have how many businesses?
1: <laughs> I know, but like I believe that I should be the last resort, so my business should not rely on me. Okay. So if I died, I don't want like my businesses to stop. Like I wouldn't do that to other people because there are people, there are people with their families that rely on this business. So I've set up everything I've ever done in a way where it should work with or without me, which is why I, me being in a corporate environment where there's five, six hundred, 1,000 employees and they all look up to me and ask me for things, it's not. You know, not my ideal scenario. I'd rather they look up to their peers rather than to me. Because um, I've been okay. to, Yeah, I don't, it's a weird, it's a weird system in my head. But I feel like I don't want I, I don't want their well being to rely on my leadership. The way I but work. you
0: want them basically to take ownership. Is that what you're saying? 100%. To take ownership of their work, accountability. I have people who have been working
1: with me for to, twelve years. Yeah,
0: like treat the business and as if it's their own. Exactly. Yeah. Versus like tell us what we need to do. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Because I'm not I'm not interested in working with people that need to be told what to do all the time. It's not it has nothing to do with education, it has nothing to do with drive. It's a character thing. And and I've met people that have incredible characters and they're just you just will sit with them, they're full of positivity. They want to challenge themselves regularly and they have no formal training in hospitality. And I've hired these people.
0: This is something that came up on my episode with Nadim Samara a few weeks ago when we were talking about how he, as OMG's CEO for the region, hires for attitude and trains for aptitude. Something Samir believes in as well. I've got a few more interesting stories from Samir right after this word from our sponsor. A quick thanks to our sponsor for this episode, JustMop. JustMop is a service that helps connect you with well-trained, pre-screened service professionals for disinfection and cleaning services. Their services include the use of biosafe, hospital-grade disinfectants, and they are very efficient against uh, coronavirus while being 100% safe for kids and pets. So, if you're looking to professionally disinfect your home or office, visit justmop.com or download their app and use the promo code LULU30, that's L-O-U, L-O-U, number three and number zero, until the end of July for a 30% discount of your disinfection and sanitization service. So thanks to Mop for the support for the show. Welcome back. I'm Lulu Khazan, and you're listening to our episode with Samir Hamedi, serial entrepreneur who doesn't like being called an entrepreneur. So after getting out of the corporate world in just seven months, then running events for five years, Samer reinvented himself as an F&B wizard. Is behind numerous concepts in Dubai, such as Republic or Republic, uh, Stereo Arcade, and now Akibadori. Dori. And while you might think that there are inspirations from faraway lands that lead to the birth of so many of these concepts, Samir finds his inspiration somewhat randomly.
1: So when I developed Republic, for example, um Republic was a club was a nightclub at the Address Dubai Mall back in 2011 That was my first like proper nightclub And I set that up with Riddharad, uh from TVWA um, And the guy called Amir, who was, my business par- was our business partner at the time Republic was an idea of um, developing a nightlife brand That was not a nightlife brand That was more like a bunch of friends hanging out in a bar And there's music and a DJ and they're drinking And that's it, that was the idea so it was almost like a, a declaration of independence from uh, the rest of the nightlife scene in Dubai. We are very low-key. There was no, you know, the prices were good. Everyone was super chilled. You can show up in a T-shirt and sneakers. Um, you know, girls could wear flats if they wanted to. Some clubs stopped girls at doors because they weren't, weren't wearing heels. I mean, this was Dubai at the time. So I wanted to do something completely alien to that. And so I sat with Rida's... Um, Rita's team, Rita's obviously super creative, and we sat with his creative team at, at TBWA. I've never worked with an agency before as the client. Obviously, I didn't pay them anything because that was my partner.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I shouldn't have said that now. But no, so it was obviously a fun project for him to be able to create something a bit different. And we worked on um, creating the brand, and it was the most fun I've ever had working with an ad agency in any form and uh, Republic was born. It was uh, like an amalgamation of artists, turning them into countries. So you had a Freddie Mercury, you had his own country, so he had his own flag. Madonna had her own flag. Uh, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana had their own flag. So we created like this United Nations, but for music. And it was a very powerful message to send out into the market. And a lot of people really felt like there was a closeness to it. And um, You
0: were DJing, right?
1: I wasn't, no. No, uh, no, this was my first bar because nobody would play the music that I wanted. So I'm like, hell, I'm just going to figure out and do it myself. I had an iPod plugged in, my laptop. I got a mixer, I didn't know how to use it. Things were going backwards. I'd call Jean B, my friend who's a DJ at the 400 back in the day. I'm like, listen, the mixer is going backwards. What do I do? He's like, just click that forward, you idiot. Um, so I was, I was, I just winged it. I did, I, you know, I didn't care. People used to come up to me and request songs and it was fun. It was just a fun little bar called one-on-one. You know,
0: by the way, that's, that's, I, I love this because I think that's one thing that stops people from becoming entrepreneurs and, and like doing their own thing. Cause everybody wants, I don't know if it's ego or reputation or something, but it has to be perfect. Like if I'm going to start a club, you know, I have to have the best DJ and I have to have the sparklers. And as you said, and, and people aren't like. I don't know. Maybe humble enough to accept that. You know what's gonna? It might be shit like the first yeah, few times. But
1: it wasn't. It was so much fun. People loved it. People came. We had queues out the door. No, but I mean, you,
0: you, 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 yeah. you, you weren't reluctant to to no. say that. You know what? I don't find a DJ that's gonna play what I want. I'm gonna play whatever the hell I want. Hell
1: yeah, that's the way to do it. And you
0: became a DJ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <I> just <laughs> you know,
1: uh, for we were open for four months. That was the first learning, very big learning experience in F&B. we were open for only four months, um, and um, I bought a sound system, like whatever. 50, 60000 then I just bought a little sound system from guys that I ended up partnering up with recently in their AV companies. Well, it's a side business. Um, and I just winged it. I just figured it out. And uh, we had a blast doing it. And then the hotel management company got kicked out by the owners. And another management company came in. So our contract was with the first one. So they're like, no more club. Get out of here. It was a disaster. It was one of those situations. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I'm, How am I, like, I going to get out of this? There was no way out of it. No lawyers at the time. I didn't think I needed a lawyer. It's a small bar. What was the point? But it was a lot of fun. It was a big learning experience. With Republic, it had to be like the next level um, because it was a proper rent. It was an, an Amar property. We were their first tenants, if you will, uh, kind of. And that was a proper brand creation from scratch. I mean, it was one of my like favorite times ever developing that and then um, launching it and doing some really cool stuff with it. And... Um, For that one, I wanted to hire professionals because this was a real business. (laughs) One-on-one was a fun little business. I was paying for everything myself. It was low cost. There was no real risk. Um, Republic had to be like professional stuff. So I found a DJ through a friend of mine, um, Dean Curtis, who is now probably one of the best DJs in town. I always loved that kid, like seeing him play. And I literally just gave him my music. I'm like, how would you mix this? Like, what songs would you pick? And I was like, this is the guy. And we ended up creating a cult following because of Republic. So when we closed two years later... We closed because um, we were paying a very low rent, like way below market. Um, Ended up, MR were like, guys, like, we love you guys, but like, you're paying one fourth the market rate. So we got to go up. I'm like, listen, I love you guys too, but I can't do it at higher than that. So let's just call it quits and stay friends. They're like, oh, it's fine, whatever. They brought somebody else in.
0: So you built a cult following and then people followed you to your next. uh, Yeah, so when
1: Republic closed, people were very upset. I actually remember like closing night, I had tears in my eyes when we were closing because we really built a freaking family. Like, there were couple of hundred people in there for the closing night. Every single one of them was my friend. There's nobody I didn't know in there. Like, and they stayed till 3.30, 4 a.m. Nobody wanted to leave. Like, they were not leaving. We're going to stay here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> one of my friends, uh, Tom, who ended up being one of my investors in Stereo Arcade, uh, he ended up going to the hospital that night because he was, he says, his wife says he was very upset about it, but because we were pouring buckets of water on people and he got hypothermia or something. It was really bad. He ended up in the hospital That was stressful. So just to show you the commitment to the cause, Uh this is the genius of a guy who's super successful, you know, three, four Ferraris in the house, and he's like upset over a club closing. (laughs) So clubs don't invoke that kind of emotion in you. So for us to be able to get that out of people, I felt like there was something there, and I had to do it again. And that's where Stereo Arcade came about, looking for the right location, right people. Um, And that opened uh, two years, a year and a half later. uh, And that was a great place. Yeah, that was and that was like that was act. the next next level of yeah, Republic. Let's was, put it that way. I, mean, I
0: remember going there many times where we had to pull in my wasta. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry. And, and like, what you want me in? I'm gonna call Sam. <laughs> and how many people do that?
1: Oh my God, the number of people that used to do that. Um, <laughs> people,
0: because it was like super in. Uh, like, yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, people used to do that at other clubs. Yeah. <laughs> Because before that, I used to go to other clubs. And you have a life. lot of
0: friends, so what are you doing? I know. So, well,
1: <laughs> more often than not, my, the security guards, they're part-timers. They don't work for us full-time. So I was standing next to the door um, waiting for a bunch of my friends who were lost. They were from out of town. And uh, a guy was arguing with the bouncer, actually our door manager, Bilal, um, telling him, if you don't let me in now, I will call Samer. You will not have a job tomorrow morning. <laughs> the guy's part-time. He doesn't work for me full-time, first of all. If you don't have a job with me. That's the that's the irony of the whole situation. And I was standing right there. So he's he's laughing, like cracking up, like actually laughing at the guy. He's like, call him. He's like, my phone's dead. He's like, call him from my phone. Here's his number. He's like, no, I don't want to bother him right now. And I'm standing right there.
0: And he doesn't know you.
1: He has no... I don't know the guy. He doesn't yeah, know me. Yeah. But somebody told him that. And then... You know, with this business, if you're over capacity, it's not you're not being an asshole at the door. It's just the rules. You can't let 500 people in when the capacity is 400. It's a safety thing. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of that, obviously. And and I've been lucky that, you know, had
0: lots of fights.
1: No, believe it or not, we had less fights in four years than most clubs have in one weekend. Wow. Which is crazy because, again, the music we played wasn't aggressive. We didn't have the show off culture. Um, It was a big Lebanese crowd. I mean, for me, I knew I made it when StepFeed ran an article and uh, something like 15 things um, 15 things make you feel Lebanese in Dubai or whatever yeah. or something like that. Arcade stereo arcade is, arcade. is one of them, like seeing all your <laughs> is college
0: Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: I think it's a great thing. I mean, you made it to pop culture. It's and Actually, StepFeed are not really pop culture. I think they're on the money most of the time. Um, but it's, it was interesting seeing that. The number of people who sent that around were like, oh, my God, you're on this thing. It's like being on BuzzFeed. They're yeah. like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. So, um, so that was interesting to create again a nightclub that invokes that kind of emotion in people. And, um, but yeah, it was also a big learning curve going from investing my own money or just having very little partners. Like it was like Mirada and Amir and Republic to being like to having fifteen shareholders or sixteen shareholders. I mean, you've raised money, so you know the process and how.
0: I learned the process. I didn't know. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. Now you know. I'm talking yeah, about before you have, know. To, you have to, you to wing it.
0: Well, I think raising the first time is is, uh, is is super difficult. You you really don't know. Uh, I mean, you don't how long anything. it's going to take. Uh, the challenges, the kinds of people that you need to bring in as shareholders, I think is so important. Uh, that's the most. I think important. a lot of times entrepreneurs, especially like when we started in 2012, when la- that first kind of wave of like tech entrepreneurs. Um, money wasn't there like money wasn't abundant so it's not like today where you go to a uh, many vcs uh, and around and then like you know like a, a seed round today is like a million dollars i mean back in you know back when i was raising like if you could get like two hundred thousand dollars you're like you're, like, you're, like you're killing good. it yeah, yeah. So actually now at your stage i mean you're you're like you have a great track record in hospitality so i'm pretty sure now if you want to do something you'll have investors kind of
1: of course uh, i mean uh, I do, yes. I mean, I want to say I have a great track record because I've launched a lot of successful concepts. Obviously, one of them, Stereo Arcade, failed miserably, ultimately, which is crazy to most people. They're like, what? How is that possible? Because we were doing incredibly well. Our numbers were astronomically high, um, but it ended up being a big loss, Stereo Arcade. At the end of it, of course. I mean, we were supposed to open for five years plus another five, so ten years. The investment ended up being a lot higher than what what was expected. Again, I made a rookie mistake, which I, uh, you know, one day I'll kind of make up for it. But bringing too many people on board um, that didn't have the, they didn't have the uh, readiness to go along in the journey because it's...
0: So the risk appetite, basically?
1: Well, because a lot of them were like friends of mine and I didn't want to overstretch them financially. In hindsight, I did a couple of big mistakes in the beginning um, letting people that were more experienced than me who ran F&Bs, who were my partners, kind of dictate how the business, how the money was raised and what we needed it for. I learned very, very quickly, obviously, um, and then also running the business, letting the board interfere, um, letting my board of directors, who are generally really good guys, there's nothing wrong, they're not bad guys, it's not like they're bad people, it's just everyone has their own mentality and their own way of doing things. And I clash a lot with a specific group who um, were shareholders about how, I marketed the place. Basic thing just to take you into the the deepest, darkest for me, depths of having a board sometimes, is the things you have to argue are so irrelevant to a board meeting. It became nitpicky, you know. I work with my sister Samantha, my younger sister. She's till now she handles my social media. It's like me handling my own social media having her on board. And that became a problem. Why are you paying your sister? I'm like, Because she's she replies to people at one AM. You think if I hired an agency, they'd reply at one AM? When for us, the conversion rate of a message to business, I mean, you'd be shocked. 100% of messages replied to equal business in nightclubs. Because the guy's coming to the club and they message you, hey, you think we can get in or you can put my name on the list? If nobody answers, they're not going to come. So if somebody's there answering, they're going to come in, and that's money. Yeah. So for me, paying somebody a little bit of money wasn't even a huge amount compared yeah, to
0: I mean, she's working, right? That's a job.
1: And she's working 12, 13 hours a day. I mean, who, who will give you that kind of commitment? Yeah. If she wasn't my sister, she wouldn't do it. So they're like, and I, I had to let her go because of my board of directors. After that, our marketing and PR went to hell because we hired an agency.
0: So what's the, what's the main kind of learning there? Like?
1: One, I would say, for me, for me, specifically from that, is I won't let anyone else uh, work on my finances, they forced me to hire a financial consultant. One of the few people I say like if I see in public like I would I would just I would wanna put them up against the wall. Don't say
0: <laughs> Yeah, okay. I don't want to
1: say No. Like and have a conversation with them. Uh, no, because it was you know, it was um People took advantage of the situation um, in various ways, and I didn't appreciate that. And I've always been very, you know, very transparent with the way I did things. And um, you know, freaking E and Y were our auditors. Like, why did we? I love E They're a great company. My one of my best friends works there. Why did a, a nightclub need E Because yeah. my board like we have to get E and Y. Why? Because they're the best at the best. Okay, fine, get and Y. We got and Y. And that's them.
0: like a ton of money Of yeah. course.
1: Then the next year, okay, forget you get BDO. <laughs> so so again, my board of directors, and by the way, the guy who wanted us to work with e n y Y is my partner now in the other business. Like we're very close friends. But back then what he was thinking, because he was so used to corporate and he was yeah. a banker, yeah. it was difficult for him to transcend from multi-billion dollar company to a 30 million dollar company or 10 million dollar company it was very difficult so then he's like yeah yeah forget it It was a stupid idea so even on the board there are people learning and they're much more experienced than me at raising funds and doing all that stuff and so again it became very difficult and I felt like I was doing things to appease the board of directors and that's not how the business world works so now I reimagine my whole structure my priority in my business are my staff literally nobody comes first then my customers then my brand and then all the way at the bottom are my shareholders And they understand that that's the hierarchy. The reason for that is, again, if something happens to me, my team are going to take care of the business, my customers are going to take care of my team, and my brand will take care of my customers. So that's the way I see it. So the mentality of your shareholders come first. I will not work with anyone who believes in that. No matter what, no matter what, no matter how much it's money. So it is.
0: important, yeah. Picking up, like knowing what kind of people you want to work with and of who course. to get the money from. It's, and people it's, understand. I the think risk. it makes or break a business as well. Of course, it's it's the of same course. as employees and management and so on. It's the same like as hiring the right co-founders and exactly. uh, partners and so exactly.
1: on. Exactly. Exactly. It it helps now that a lot of my shareholders are lawyers, which is fantastic oh, for me.
0: Huh. <laughs> okay. Which
1: actually works really well. Um. Because they understand every angle and my brother-in-law and father-in-law are also lawyers <laughs> i'm surrounded i would say that was the first one of the first things so i So you to have say.
0: like an ironclad uh, yeah well, now. <laughs>
1: i mean now at this stage uh, you know i walk into a meeting with a hotel and i tell them you know this is my partner he's a lawyer this is my partner he's a lawyer this is my partner he's a, the guy's like we're just talking about the valet parking yeah. why are you bringing your lawyers <laughs> uh, but it's all in good fun it's nothing too serious there's no harm
0: so you love what you do huh
1: I love what I do. I love that other people um, are making a living um, let's put it this way, uh, reviewing and criticizing what I do. I think that it's it's very interesting, like the blogger and the food reviewer yeah. culture that if you think about well, it well, it's amazing exactly. when you think about it right the, the the symbiotic relationship there no, that blogger incident was very interesting a girl who has still remained anonymous actually i didn't say if she was a girl until now um <laughs> sends an email to our hello at akibadori email for we had just opened akibadori my new japanese uh restaurant in, in d3 uh saying um you know i get invited everywhere i have a friend's birthday coming up you know can we get a table and like on the house kind of thing
0: on the house for yeah
1: for like six people on like a friday oh, six
0: people okay yeah
1: and uh, Samantha, again, replies to her, my sister, she says... Oh, so you
0: work with your sister again? Yeah, of course. Now, now I'm
1: free to do whatever, whatever I want. So uh, she says, well, we have a blogger package, and we invited key food bloggers, the people that we trust their opinion, and we want them to actually give us honest feedback on the business so we can improve it. That's it. So we're not really doing that right now. Um, but when we do again, we'll let you know what the package is. And she got really upset. The girl's like, no, nobody tells me what I can order, what I can't order. And if why shouldn't I go to another place and not come to you and then samantha was on a plane and i remember getting seeing because i get all the emails as well and i I replied to her i'm like i'm really sorry this is just how it's going to be um we're not really doing that she's like you know well good luck getting anyone like relevant to come to your restaurant because if i don't come there it's it's like no other no other bloggers will come to your place basically and i said i don't think that's how the world works i think i'm sure you're amazing at what you do but that's not how the world works and then she said Okay, maybe I will come and write an anonymous review. I'm like, I look forward to reading it, and that was it. That's how I, I closed it. I still have all the emails, obviously. Um, but then my brother-in-law is like, you can't release them, even if you don't, even if you black out the name. She can say she can sue you for a libel. And oh my god, these laws sometimes like, what? Who's so? Did working?
0: she did she come to the restaurant?
1: No, never. Oh, I she don't. never came. To I, the if she did, I wouldn't know. But do
0: you have? Do you have a good business? Have you? Have you?
1: <laughs> I mean, we're expanding. <laughs> Does anyone the bu- else come to your? No restaurant? No one came after that. No, one came that after it. that. That was it. That was the end of it. So I, that that blew up, and then I get calls from the radio. Hey, can you come talk about this? I'm like, whoa, calm down. I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble, um, or whatever. They're like, no, we're not getting into the details. So I did a couple of re- interviews about it, which was <laughs> hilarious. And it was some, somehow ended up in a couple of magazines. And I'm like, guess, is it that big a deal? Then it made me realize how frustrated people were with, like, with yeah, that blogger culture. Or
0: influencer. Yeah, like
1: I mean, look, I have a lot of friends that actually do that for a living. And there's a difference between the ones that have focused so much to actually build a brand out of themselves. I have tremendous respect for them. I think it's amazing what they do. And I think it's a lot of hard work. Then you have people that just want free stuff because they have a lot of followers. Yeah. The difference between someone who has a million followers on Instagram, for example, or Twitter, who positions himself with certain brands, who does certain things, who religiously um, adheres to certain laws um, in that world, versus someone who just has you know, 100,000 followers and just wants free meals. That person is never going to do you any good in any shape or form. The person who's turn- turned it into a business, it's in their best interest for you to succeed because of them. People that are freeloading, they get no respect from me, no respect whatsoever. I'm not interested in that business model. I have no, I have no time for it. Go do something useful for, for the world. People that have turned their, their, their fame into a business, I have tremendous respect for them, because hell, we're all trying to freaking survive and we're winging it as we go along. So if they've managed to do that in a very cluttered and difficult market, that's amazing.
0: What would you like? I don't know. Recommend to people that are looking at. Uh, you know, doing their own thing and, uh, I mean, maybe in general, but also in the, in the food and beverage-like space?
1: Um, I would say don't do it unless you are mentally and physically prepared. Mentally prepared because it's a very tough journey to get to where you think you want to be and then you realize that you're way far behind or where you need to actually be to make it work is further out. So um, it's like running a marathon. Okay, you can run the 1K, 2K, 4K, 5K, but it takes a special kind of person to run like ultra marathons. Okay, and actually, a perfect example of that is Tom Otten from Create Media. I don't know if you know Tom. Yeah. So Tom actually runs ultra marathons, and he runs an incredibly wildly successful uh, media agency. They're one of the, I think one of the best in in, in the region, if not in this whole area, um, in the whole like Middle East and even North Africa. So um, it takes a special kind of person to be able to start from a desk job, move to a leadership role, and then grow a business that helps other people grow their lives also. So if you're ready to be that person, then great. But if all you want to do is raise some money, work on something, if it doesn't work out, just quit and move along, I would say go work with someone who's on that journey already and learn from them before you do it. And and, and your time is worth a lot more than your money at that stage. Because what you're, the amount of time you're going to waste, or I say waste in a very positive way, you're going to waste time learning because I think the best, the best teacher is actually time. Um, you'll waste a lot of time learning and then you'll realize four years later that that wasn't a waste of time because that was my mentality. Like, oh, it's such a waste of time doing all these things. But now I do it with my eyes closed. So, no, it wasn't a waste of time. You know, like college was a waste of time. That's what I used to say when I was in college. Like, what a such a waste of time? Now when I think about it, it was, a, it was a great learning experience. So learn from people who already are on that journey even if you have to sacrifice your time and it feels like you're wasting it. Don't go out there and expect people to pick you up and hold your hand through the process. If that's the kind of person that you are, this is not the right business for you. Don't go hire consultants because you think they know what they're talking about. And then you pay them a lot of money and use, use up funds for stuff like that. And learn to take rejection in a good way. And surround yourself with people who are not super positive and bubbly all the time. You need people to tell you, no, this is a horrible idea. You need someone like me to tell you, this is a horrible idea. You're going to waste your time and you're going to waste your money. Just don't do it. Or if you're already doing it, shut it down and move along. And I've, I've done this so many times. And I think one of the biggest and the most challenging things to do when you're running your own business is to know when
0: yeah.
1: you need to cut to your losses. It I agree. It's very difficult. And it's
0: super difficult.
1: Ego mm-hmm. has no place in business.
0: I think you it's also a matter of culture, right? I mean we, we don't necessarily have a culture of, of failure here in this part of the world. Oh here nobody fails. Yeah, Everyone's amazing. I mean, if you here. fail you're like, you know, you're a user or <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not how you're it's not how we're raised, no, right? It's uh, you have to be the best and I don't know of course.
1: Fun. But you're talking to a guy who owned the nightclub but he used to go up and do the lights. I used to do lights in Serio Arcade. I was the lighting guy. People used to come up to me and request music, they didn't know who the hell I was. And and some of my partners are like, what's wrong with you, man? You own the place. You're standing up there. Like, what's well, wrong? Well, also, with you?
0: I love what you said that like it failed, and and you you said like, yeah, and it failed. And yeah, and,
1: and, well, it and, was a failure. I mean, it was it's, successful, it's, and it's, then it failed. So uh, there's no guarantee, right?
0: It's great to admit it. So you're you're gonna work with entrepreneurs uh, on like F and B concepts potentially. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I'm doing that already. So I have a lot of people that um, I sit with regularly, and always they always pick my brain on things, and I pick their brain on things as well because I think they're budding entrepreneurs who need just a little bit of a push. Um, I've made a lot of people quit their jobs, like forced them to do it because they were miserable. And they were, you know, a friend of mine um, was very confused about quitting um, a very stable job, but he hated what he does. Super talented guy. His name is Dia. He works at, he has a, he set up an agency. Um, Super talented musician. He's a freaking rock star. Uh, He was a filmmaker, he was a drone pilot, he, he used to make, he used to produce a film in like 20 minutes, most people take, you know, 20 days to do, and he was in insurance. Like What the hell are you doing? And we had this conversation at the gym, he's like, I'm thinking of quitting and I want to do it and whatever, and he ended up quitting and now he has a freaking huge business, you know, and and so, it, sometimes, and, and what he did actually influenced me to do a lot of things that I wasn't thinking about doing. So it's amazing you, where you get inspired um, and what situations inspire you and what people inspire you, but, don't waste your time. It's the only thing you can't get back. It's literally the only... And it's very cliche to say it. I know everybody says it. And if my mom said that to me when I was a kid, I'd be like, stop telling me things that you... Whatever. you get. It's still such an old adage. But the truth is, um, don't get to a stage where you think, I wish I did things differently. Just do it. And then what's the worst that can happen? When you're in your 20s, what's the worst that can happen? Your business crashes and fails? That's fine. As long as you literally put yourself out there and ready for that failure then you have nothing to lose. But if you're worried about reputation and, oh, if I do it, and what will my parents' friends say? And, uh, that, that mentality well, I, What change.
0: will my parents' friends say? It's something you grew up with in the of Arab course, world. Of course, unfortunately. Are you going out? What are the neighbors going what to say? What are the neighbors going to say? Well, hopefully
1: they'll <laughs> be asleep when I come back. <laughs> hopefully. hopefully. If they're not, what yeah. are they up to? Because I think
0: I'm the only one on the block that used to go out and, you know, my father was like, what would the neighbors say when you come back? I'm like, oh, God.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe... They're hungry, they want a manushi min- min- or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, times right. have changed and I think they're changing more. And, and uh, you know, uh, the digital age has definitely helped progress a lot of industries. And if you're lucky enough to be on one of those trains and you can ride it out, then that's fantastic.
0: Sam is currently working to expand the Akiba Dori across the region and has his eyes set on other continents when the COVID restrictions start to ease off. Once again, thank you for joining me on this episode. You can find all episodes of Conversations with Lulu in your favorite podcast players, such as Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as apps like Angami and Deezer. You can also find the video version of the interview for those of you who like video uh, on our YouTube channel, Conversations with Lulu. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can support the show by subscribing for free and leaving us a review on any of the platforms. You can also reach out to me for feedback or for sponsorship requests via Instagram at lulukhazen. And again, it's L-O-U-L-O-U-K-H-A-Z-E-N or via email at lulu.khazen@gmail.com. gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's capital.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.